the week or the month or the year that has led up to today, uh, whether they have been filled with great highs and joys and successes, or whether they've been filled with pain and difficulty and struggles, or whether it's been a combination of all different things in the way that life can throw up. But we thank you that today is a day for us to stop and pause and to think about what Christmas is really about, to be able to know your comfort for us, uh, the comfort that Christmas brings, but not, not just comfort, but to know the joy and the rejoicing that we can have. So wherever we are today, Father, we pray that you meet us and you reveal yourself to us and you'll show us uh, your ways, your comfort, your goodness. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you heard Psalm 57 being read out by Chi before, you can tell it's not your traditional Christmas passage, right? Uh, there is no baby Jesus in it. There are no angels singing. There are no shepherds in the fields. No, no wise men journeying anywhere. Uh, but is that really what Christmas is about? Is Christmas just about this sort of standalone baby story? As remarkable as this baby is, is it just about the baby story? Is that what Christmas is? Well, it isn't, right? Because Christmas is part of a larger narrative, right? The narrative of the entire Bible. And one of the key points of this narrative that the Christmas baby story fits in is the narrative that God is coming into a world that is in distress and in darkness. As Faith so helpfully pointed out for us in the kids' talk, right? It's a story of how God is entering into a world, a context of distress and darkness, Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've looked into this topic a lot in our series on comfort in the Psalms, and some people have found it quite repetitive, but it's it's an important topic, isn't it, to delve into the darkness and distresses of our world. Now, the Psalms are set in the real world of our existence of brokenness and suffering and evils of many kinds. Now, it's been a, a rather dark period for me, and I've kind of been enjoying looking for quotes, right? Uh, to do with, uh, you know, distress and brokenness. And I found one that really resonated with me. It's some, you know, uh, feel-good psychology writer guy. I won't tell you whose name is. But the, the quote itself, is, 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 it touches my heart, right? It says, Some days punch us in the gut so hard it seems we can feel the whole universe gasp with despair. Right? Some days punch us in the gut so hard it seems we can feel the whole universe gasp with despair. And it kind of brings together the pain that we can often feel so acutely, but in a way, it's a quote that the, the universe itself could be saying in the way that it's broken. If it had a voice, it may use these kind of words, this kind of sentiments. There's narrative one, isn't it? God's entering into a world of distress and darkness. Narrative two is that Christmas is about God revealing himself and his glory into this distressed and darkened world, right? Christmas is a big deal because the baby isn't just a baby. Because Christmas is about God coming into the world to scream out to us, I'm here, I'm real, and I love you. And I'm being faithful to you by coming and fixing things. I come to offer you life, true life, reconciled life, the good life that I created for you to have. Christmas is about God revealing himself to a world to offer us his love and his goodness. Now, in the recent uh, times, there's been a hit movie from Disney called Moana, right? Who's seen Moana? Yes, all the kids and all the kids at heart. 
All right? Okay, surprise hit, Moana. Uh, I, I kind of watched it, and I thought, it's pretty good. Um, in this movie, Moana, which is the female character, uh, there is this demigod called Maui, right? He's there, played by Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, one of my favorite actors. Um, but when Moana first meets Maui, she doesn't register uh, that he is supposed to be a god. I mean, after all, look at him, right? Any god that you know look like that? And, 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 and Maui, he's so oblivious, he, he thinks that she's shocked because she doesn't know that he's a god. He sings this song called You're Welcome. And in it, he says this, right? Uh, this is Maui saying, Okay, okay, I, I would sing it, but my singing sucks, right? So anyway, you can go and play it on YouTube or something. Okay, okay, I see what's happening here. You're face to face with greatness, and it's strange. You don't even know how you feel. It's adorable. Well, it's nice to see that humans never change. Open your eyes. Let's begin. Yes, it's, yes, it's really me. It's Maui. Breathe it in. Right? Now, it takes a long time for Moana to breathe it in that Maui is God or a, a demigod in this story. And in a way, Christmas is a bit like that, isn't it? It's a bit, it takes a bit of time for people to take it in that this baby is actually the glory of God. I mean, the people in the first Christmas took a, a while, a long while to take it in, and we might find that the same. But Christmas is where God comes in glory. Christmas and the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, begins God's answer to our gasps of despair. And God's answer to our despair is, I will come and I will show my glory. This is the core narrative of Christmas that has been told over and over again in, in small ways throughout scriptures. And we see this core narrative even in this psalm, in Psalm 57, a very personal experience of this larger narrative that Christmas speaks into. Now, Psalm 57 is broken up into two parts with a refrain that ties them together. Right? Keep Psalm 57 open in front of you. Let me show you. Right? There's a refrain in Psalm 57 that ties the psalm together. And that's seen in verse 5 and verse 11. And it says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The font just got killed there by the program. But never mind. We'll fix it for next time, okay? So maybe Daniel can fix that. Okay, so that's the refrain that we see in verse 5 and verse 11, right? Uh, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, in the, in the first part of the psalm, verse 1 to 6, we see that comfort and deliverance can only be found when God comes in glory. In the second part of the psalm, verse 7 to the end, we see that God's glory is the reason we can stay hopeful and we can even rejoice in our suffering. Right? That's the, first, the two parts that we see in the psalm. Now, before we get into the psalm, let me give you a bit of context, a bit of background to the psalm. Now, it's given to us in verse 0. Right? That's the introduction of the psalm that you see. It's part of the Bible. All right, you know, the headings in the Bible are not part of the Bible, but the introduction to the Psalms are. Now, this Psalm is written whilst David was on the run from King Saul. Right? Saul was the first king of Israel, a king chosen by the people, whereas David was anointed by God to be his king. You heard about that yesterday in Steve's sermon. And, but even though David was the anointed king, God nor David had any intention of usurping Saul. Right? Saul was God's current anointed king, and David would wait his turn 
when it was right time. But it didn't stop Saul from being jealous. He had found out that David had been anointed as God's chosen king, and Saul was out to get and kill David, hunt him down. And we saw that yesterday in Psalm 56. And it continues to be the case here in Psalm 57. He's hiding out in a cave, and we are told in 1 Samuel 20 that Saul is literally just an arm's length outside the cave. All Saul had to do was to peep in, and he would spot David, and he would be done for. In 1 Samuel 20, David says, There is but a step between me and death. Right? Now, facing death and in great distress, what does David do? He cries out to God for mercy and refuge. And that's what the psalm is about, isn't it? Crying out to God, God for mercy and refuge. Now, even though he's secure in the cave, even though Saul doesn't know he's in there, David is asking for God to be the one who provides him refuge. He's not going to depend on on himself or or his followers or or the cave to protect him. He's going to depend on God. Now you can sense as you read the psalm, especially the first half of it, the terror that's in David's voice. In verse 1, he says, I'm in the storms of destruction. In verse 3, I'm being trampled by my enemies. In verse 4, he says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. And in verse 6, I'm trapped and my soul is bowed down and crushed. David is a man clearly in crisis. He, he borrows from the animal ki- uh, 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 realm to describe how, how much terror he's under, right? The, the, the ferocity of lions and wild animals ready to devour him. He's rocked to the core of his being. But in the midst of all this distress, we read verse 5, right? The first of our refrain. Be exalted, O God, among the heavens, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Right? This is kind of a prayer request, isn't it, to God to show who's boss. You see, the word glory uh, is the Hebrew word kavod. Right? It's a beautiful word that means big. Right? Not, not big as in like fat. Right? But in a way, it does mean fat because in the ancient world, to be fat is to be prosperous, to be a great person. If you were poor, you were skinny. If you were rich, you were fat. Right? Nowadays, we are a bit consumed with being skinny and muscly and all. But uh, in the old days, to be fat is to be glorious, is to be substantial, is to be weighty. Right? David is asking God to throw his weight around. Right? To come down and to throw his weight around and to fix things, to save him. Now, can you notice when he decides to make this prayer request to God to exalt himself and to declare his glory? is right in the middle of describing the danger that he's in. He stops talking about his enemies mid-sentence and calls out to God to glorify himself. Right, look at it, verse 5 and verse 6. It just seems so out of place, right, verse 5. You would think that if you're writing this psalm, you would write verse 6 first and then write verse 5 after that as kind of a way to comfort yourself, right, to pray to God in light of your issues. But it's clear that David fully intends for verse 5 to be exactly where it's supposed to be. Right in the midst of terror. Through the clenching of teeth in distress, David blurts out this kind of prayer request to God. In my distress, God, exalt yourself. Show your glory. Make it clear to see. Let everyone everywhere know not to mess with you. Now, why does David ask for this? But it's clear, right? If God comes down, 
in his full weightiness, the enemies will be put in their place. Right? When God shows up, the enemies are done for. Now, we all know the scene that's played out in every home, every family home where there's children, right? Especially during a holiday time, right? The kids are home. It's holiday for them. It's harder work for everyone else, correct? And the scene that's played out every day in every home that has got children in it, uh, especially if they're siblings, is that their kids will be playing, and then the younger sibling will get up to some kind of mischief, some kind of naughtiness. And then older sister or brother would say, stop it, right? Or you get in trouble. And the younger sibling would be like, eh, and then they don't care, they don't listen. And then suddenly, you know, it will get loud enough that mum would walk into the room. And then mum would say, stop it! And then she'll nag, 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 and then give, you know, a big lecture as to why they shouldn't do that. And the children will be like, eh, and then they'll keep going, right? And then what does mum say? Wait till daddy gets home, right? Does anyone still say that these days? Because times have changed. But anyway, that's what used to happen in my house. Not really, but, you know. But you know why? Because when Daddy comes home, he comes home with the full weight of his glory, doesn't he? And then when he says, he doesn't have to say anything, he just glares. Then he says, get the cane. Okay, we're all Asians here, right? So cane is still acceptable back then. You can't cane children now. But back then, like, just point to the cane. And then everything stops. Now these days, I know the men are a bit passive sometimes. That's another sermon for another day. But you all understand, right? That full weight of glory comes into the home and the kerfuffle, the messiness, the brokenness, the quarreling stops. That's what happens when glory shows up. And this is what's happening here, isn't it? In the middle of his distress, God calls out to God to come in the full weight of his glory because David knows that when God shows up, the enemies are done for. And that is the message of Christmas. In a world gasping in despair, crying out to God for comfort and deliverance, God comes into the world to reveal His glory. And when He does that, He brings in comfort and salvation. He defeats our enemies. Now, the problem with thinking of Christmas as just being about a baby is that a baby isn't very glorious, is it? A baby isn't very glorious, unless that baby is Emmanuel. God with us, unless the baby is son of God, which he is. Unless the baby grows up and does glorious things, like glorious God things, which Jesus does. Unless the baby becomes the light in the darkness, becomes the physician for all our sicknesses, becomes the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, unless he rises in glory to become the eternal king and judge. And all that... Jesus is and Jesus did. And Christmas is just the beginning of how God exalts himself far above the heavens and how he displays his glory throughout all of the earth. And because Jesus did that, because Christmas happened, humanity crying out in distress can find comfort. And that was true of the first Christmas and it's been true every moment since. That offer to us of comfort and deliverance is still being offered to us because God has revealed himself in glory through the birth of his son. Forgiveness of sin, removal of guilt, reconciliation with God, peace, salvation and joy can be ours. And the question remains is will we receive it? 
will we cry out to God for this and receive it like David did? Now come back with me to Psalm 57 and let's look at the second half of this psalm. Right, second half of this psalm. Now remember, in the context of this psalm, verse 7, David is still in the cave. Right? He's composing this psalm, probably in his head, right? He probably hasn't got a pen in him in there. But he's composing this psalm in his head and he's writing this verse still in the context of being in the cave. An arm's length away of being found and killed by Saul. The danger hasn't passed yet, and yet he writes the words of verse, uh, the words of verse seven to nine. And firstly, he urges himself to be steadfast. He says, "I will trust God. Right? I will run. Right, Dong, if you're Hokkien, right." But he refuses to adopt the kind of grin and bear it approach. He refuses to be morose and suki and downcast by his troubles. See what he says in the end of verse 7 to verse 9. David says, I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory, awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. He escalates here big time, isn't he? He says, wake up, man. Inside me, my soul, right? My glory, my, my being, all of my weightiness, I want you to wake up to give praise and thanks and glory to God. I want all my inner instruments to start playing, for me to start singing. And then he says, uh, I will awake the dawn. Now, I'm not sure what that really means. Maybe it's his poetic flourish, but it sounds like he's summoning creation to join him in singing. But it's clear in verse 9 that he's summoning the peoples, right? The peoples here means the nations, all of the non-Israelites, the whole world. He wants everyone to join in. He escalates, right? I want to sing... And I want everyone else to sing. And why? Why does he want everyone to sing? It's because of what he says in verse 10 and 11. Back to the refrain, isn't it? Psalm 57, verse 10. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. It's crazy, isn't it? Before he's even delivered, he already wants to start singing and start praising and he wants everyone else to join in as well. You see, for David, he already knew God. He had already known how he's experienced the love and faithfulness of God in the past on many occasions. He has no doubt at all that God will continue to love him and be faithful to him and to rescue him from his troubles. Now, this time, when we read the refrain of verse 10 and 11, or verse 11 especially, is different, isn't it? When in verse 5, it was kind of a prayer request to rescue him out of danger. This time, it's a prayer request for God to benefit himself, for him to reveal his glory so that he'll be praised. Before, it was for God to reveal himself so that he would be saved for David's benefit, but now it's for God's benefit in order for him to be praised. Now, David's faith and confidence is remarkable. Don't you think? Can you imagine yourself doing that right in the midst of distress and trouble to want to urge yourself, your soul, and everyone else around you to sing praises to God? Now, when you think about it, do you realize how much more reason that we have to have faith and confidence like David? When you think about where we are in history and what we know about God, we know so much more. And what do we know most of all? We know the gospel. The greatest demonstration 
of the love, the steadfast love, and the undying faithfulness of God. We know the greatest demonstration of the glory of God when Jesus sent his son into this world to be born and live as a man and to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead in glory. We know the love and faithfulness of God in a way that David never knew. And, and David's example is, is, an, is, is a lesson to us that we too ought to be able to sing and praise God in our distress. We ought to have the same desire, not just for ourselves to trust and be thankful and to sing to God, but to one other surround us too as well. Now, I find that extremely hard. I'm sure you do as well, right? How, how do you go about doing that, urging yourself to sing when the darkness has set in? When the, when the distresses just gnaw at your soul? But David says, remember the love and faithfulness of God. Remember the glory that he has displayed in Christmas, in the gospel, and sing. In the gospel story, we have come to know how great God is. And if God is great, then we sing. And if God is great, then we go public with our worship. Now, Chris Tomlin, uh, a modern songwriter, was inspired by the old hymn, uh, How Can I Keep From Singing? And he changed up the lyrics and he wrote these words. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King. And it makes my heart want to sing. I will lift my eyes in the darkest night, for I know my Savior lives. And I will walk with you, knowing you will see me through and sing the songs you give. I can sing in the troubled times, sing when I win. I can sing when I lose my step and fall down again. I can sing because you pick me up, sing because you're there. I can sing because you hear me, Lord when I call to you in prayer. I can sing with my last breath. Sing, for I know that I'll sing with the angels and the, the saints around the throne. See, just as the angels sang the praises of God at the very first Christmas, so we can and we ought to keep singing the praises of God today. Sing in the shower, if you're a bit shy. Sing in the car. Sing at church. Sing wherever you are and in whatever state you're in. But praising God doesn't just have to be through singing. Praising God means advertising God. That's what praise means, right? It means to promote, to advertise, to highlight, to make much of, to draw attention to. And so we praise God in the way that we share the news of the gospel to our families, in the way that we describe the character and the work of God to our colleagues and our, our classmates, in the way that we talk about God with joy and, and with thankfulness. These are all the ways that we can praise God. At Christmas that we all know about, God has revealed His glory. How much praising of God have you done this Christmas? How much praising of God are you doing every day of your lives? Now, Psalm 57 isn't a traditional Christmas passage, but it fits right into the Christmas narrative, doesn't it? Psalm 57 shows us that comfort can only be found when God comes in glory. And God's glory revealed is the reason why we can have hope and even rejoice in suffering. 
Christmas is God's answer to our guests of despair. And his answer is, I will come and show my glory. And when he did that very first Christmas, we have comfort and we have salvation. And so this morning and every day, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the glorious one, that you are the creator of heaven and earth, you are the eternal sovereign king. And we thank you that on that very first Christmas, you revealed your glory, and through the life, death, and resurrection of your son that was born that Christmas morning, we see the full weight of your glory displayed, the love, the faithfulness, the comfort, the salvation that you brought, that you gave to us, that you offer to us even today. We thank you that because you threw your weight around that we can find comfort and salvation. And we thank you that because you threw your weight around we can live each day with praise and thanksgiving. We can sing from our hearts. We can, we can sing to others. We can draw attention to you to give you the glory, to give you the thanks for what you have done for us. For some of us in distress or in despair, feeling the weight of brokenness in our lives or in the world, we pray that the hope and joy of Christmas will be ours today and evermore. For we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.